Over the next month, I told you we were going to switch up. Uh, In fact, I'm calling this No Perfect Families Allowed. Amen? I could have said No Perfect People Allowed. Amen? Yes, No Perfect Families Allowed. In fact, we're going to be looking at family portraits that are in the Bible over the next month. Now, I'll tell you what's true. There's no Photoshop in the Bible. If you've ever read it, it's kind of like Abe Lincoln when he got his portrait made and he told the photographer, just shoot me as I am, warts and all. That's what we get in the, in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, isn't it? We see flawed people. We see flawed families living imperfectly but moving towards God who gives us perfect peace. Amen? So, they are real families there struggling with some real dysfunctions. You know what? I need to turn that on. There we go. All families have flaws because all families are human. Yes? All families have stress. They have stress over relationships. They have stress over financial pressures. You have imperfect parents who are trying to raise perfect kids who are, are in fact, themselves imperfect. I didn't get an amen on that one. Okay. And I want to tell you, here at Oakland Drive Christian Church, there are no perfect people allowed. We all have our struggles. In fact, I want you to turn to somebody sitting close to you and look them in the face and say, I'm not perfect and neither are you. Go right ahead. Turn to somebody. I'm not perfect and neither are you. Okay, okay, everybody turn up here. Everybody turn up here. Look at me. I don't, I don't want you to get down a rabbit's hole there. But I'll give you one more chance. You look at me and you say, you're not perfect either, Eric. You're not perfect either, Eric. Some of y'all enjoyed that way too much. But you know what? God knows you're imperfect. In fact, God did not want to build a bunch of little robots that would do everything. What he wanted to do in the height of his creation is invent, create a being that he would give free choice to because he wanted that being, you, to understand what unconditional love is and give you the opportunity to reflect that back. But I want to tell you, imperfect people of ODCC, God cares about you and your family. He cares if you are single, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, if you are married with children or married without children. He cares if you're living with someone who's not your spouse. If you're struggling with a controlled substance or alcohol abuse or you're engaging in 
sexual sin. He cares about you if you're ruined financially. If you lie as easily as you breathe. If you have a criminal record. If you cannot control your anger or you cannot keep from judging and gossiping about other people. He cares for you if you're depressed, anxious, grieving, lonely. If you can't sleep or you can't stay awake. Or if, or if you were thinking that this world would be better off without you. By the way, it won't. You're here for a purpose. But he cares for you. And he cares about your messed up family. Maybe you can relate to the, to the old woman who once said, the only thing normal in our family is the knob on the clothes dryer. Guys, you need to go look at a clothes dryer. The ladies know what I'm saying. That's why they're snickering. Well, we're going to start right at the beginning. We're going to start with the first family, Adam and Eve today. Adam and Eve, Cain, and Abel. And I'm not going to read it all to you. Yeah, I'm going to read you parts, but, but you can read it yourself. Um, you want to talk about a family that had flaws? The very first family had flaws. And yet, they survived. The bad news is, we've all inherited their flaws. And just like Adam, we have the ability to choose wrong. And yet, the good news is, we are not flawed beyond help. God's grace is greater than our flaws Paul writes over in Romans 5, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? And you know what? We celebrate that. All of you are here Because you're either seeking a meaning for life or you have already found that in Jesus. And you're clinging to that hope of eternal life in a place that is better than this where the flaws go away. So the good news is there's no family flaw that is so great that God's grace can't help to bring healing. Now, I'm going to focus this morning on how God responded to the flaws of that first family because I think that gives us hope. After Adam and Eve had eaten from the forbidden tree and eat the forbidden fruit, God's response was this. Over in Genesis 3, around verse 21, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife 
and he clothed them. And the Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good from evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God gave the first couple complete liberty to enjoy paradise. He even went out and walked with them every day, which by the way, God still wants to do with us. One thing, one thing they were told they couldn't have. Not to eat the fruit from one tree, only one tree. This whole vast garden, one tree, leave it alone. And the serpent lied and they fell for it and they blew it and they sinned and they knew it. When God came down for their daily walk, they were hiding from him, and he confronted them. And then Adam invents the oldest game known to man. Do you know the name of the game? It's the blame game. Yes. Adam says, it, it, it was the woman that you gave me. By the way, who's he blaming? Is he blaming Eve? No, he's really not. You ever blame God? Things go wrong. You ever blame God when you got caught for something you did? Welcome to being human. This woman you gave me, she did. You know what she said? It wasn't me, it was the serpent. By the way, read that very carefully. Adam was in on the conversation when it happened, when she talked to the servant. And he sat by and didn't protect his wife. Think about that sometime when you're contemplating that story. Adam didn't move when he should have. Okay, we're going to go on, not going to pick that apart, but I do want to talk about the first thing that God did. The first thing that he did after that was not evict them from the garden. He chose to teach them. And we read in Genesis three sixteen and 18 that he was teaching them that their decisions come with consequences. For the woman, increased pain in childbearing and friction with her husband. 
I'm not going to ask for an amen. It's in my family too, by the way. And for the man, the ground would become unyielding. He would have to sweat for his supper. And then in 19, from dust you came and to dust you will return. What comes into the world? Death. But you know, the second thing that God did was not evict them either. The second thing he did was he made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. By the way, how was it that they knew that they were naked? Yeah, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Why cover up? Is, is, it, is it that tied with guilt and shame? I, I don't want you to see me. Yeah. They felt shame and guilt over their deliberate disobedience the second thing that God did was to cover their guilt that's what he did his response to begin with you've made a bad decision and there's consequences but I'm going to help not changing punishment but I'm going to help see here's the thing with Jesus There are people who believe that God is so good uh, and his goodness is so big and his love is so big, he's never going to send anybody to hell. Well, fact is, they're right. He's not. It's a choice we make. But his goodness is balanced by his justness. And if we choose to live this life without him, He's going to honor that decision in the next. But he doesn't leave us there. What's he do? He comes along to help us. He even came in the flesh, died on the cross, paid for our sin. I know it almost sounds too simple. Sometimes the truth is very Simple. But you look at these garments. God wasn't just trying to clothe them and to keep them dry and to keep them warm. If that were the case, the fig leaf dresses that they made, that would have been enough. But you see, God wanted to help them cope with their guilt. He wanted to teach them. We all know what guilt feels like. We all know what shame feels like. We've all been caught. In fact, Paul tells us there is none that are righteous. For we have all 
sin. This act of taking skins and making clothing is what theologians like to call the proto-evangelagon. And don't write that down. It is the good news before the good news. It is a hint where God is establishing that the shedding of animal blood as a prototype for the shedding of his own blood, which will be done on Calvary. Just like Adam and Eve, God still offers to cover our guilt. And this making of those clothes from skins is the first clear statement of the ultimate price that will be paid for your sin and for mine. So, only after telling them the consequences of sin and offering his help, only then does God expel them from the garden. Now, what does that have to do with family flaws? Well, have you ever stopped to notice that this just didn't happen for a people, for one person or two persons, but for that whole family? This was a family thing. You see, sin is never a solo pursuit. It always has consequences, like throwing the rock in the water and seeing the ripples of the waves. That's what happens. What Eve did affected Adam. It affected their children. It affected us all. When we disregard God, it adversely affects the lives of those around us. Remember what he said at the giving of the law? He said he's going to be punishing the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation. But did you hear him also say that he will bless the goodness of the father for a thousand generations? See, consequences can be positive or negative. But there's always consequences to actions. And when we think, well, I'm not hurting anybody else but me. Friend, that's just simply not true. Our attitudes are contagious. If I rebel against God, my wife and children will see that and sense it. And that rebellion may cause my children to follow suit. This is clearly illustrated with what happened with Cain and Abel. Jumping over to Genesis 4, we read this. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. This is kind of a hard phrase to translate. Honestly, I think a better translation is much shorter. It's this. Abel brought the fattest of the firstborns. 
it's a legitimate translation here. I think it fits when you think about the fact that the first of the flock is what was brought for sacrifice. Yes? Okay. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look on with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Do you have that picture? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. The acceptance of those gifts that were brought as sacrifices had more to do with their attitude than with the gifts themselves. The writer states that Abel brought the best of the best, which implies that Cain did not. You go back and read it, and it says he brought some. He didn't bring the best. And Cain's attitude didn't improve either. Not even after God talked to him. And you know what he did, right? He killed his brother. How did that happen? Cain chose to make the same foolish mistake that his parents had made. He followed his feelings instead of following the father. By the way, that's something we ought to think about. When you feel like following your feelings, you better make sure you're still following the follower, the father. Because if you're not following the father, then your feelings are leading you astray. He disregarded God's instruction. His parents' disobedient attitude rubbed off on him. And we all run that risk when we disobey God. Not only breaks God's heart, but it can hurt our relationship with him, can hurt our relationship with our family, and it can spread our sin. Because sin is never a solo pursuit. Because your attitude affects others. You're going to affect others negatively or are you going to affect others positively? You know what we call that, that attitude? When it affects somebody else, you know what that is? That's a simple word, influence. Are you going to influence people away from Christ or are you going to influence them toward Christ? Two quick principles. One, we overcome by choosing to trust God's love for us. None of us grew up in perfect homes. We can be just like Cain and Abel 
because we are products of our upbringing, but we have choice. We can look and see where the flaws were and choose to not follow in them. Our parents have flaws, and our kids will wind up growing up looking back at our flaws. Abel was able to overcome his family flaws. He was walking with God just like his parents had done before paradise lost. Writer of Hebrews, over in Hebrews 11, says this. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when he spoke well, when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. How does he do that? Because we have his example in God's word. When we have faith that God has our best interest in mind, we'll want to follow his instructions. We don't have to be victimized by our family flaws. Trusting God can change the course and change the history of our family. The second positive principle actually comes from Cain. What, something positive from Cain? Yes. We overcome by choosing our attitude. Remember what God said to Cain after rejecting his offering? He said this, he said, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? What's that? That's a grace moment, guys. Hey, Cain. If you straighten up, don't you think everything's going to be okay? It will be. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. In other words, God said, Cain, if you don't get a hold of your sin and master it, it's going to master you. And if you're honest... We all have a deep down struggle with the same thing. The solution is simple. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Give your life over to him because he cares for you. Parents, grandparents, And you who will be parents one day, are you going to continue the cycle of a sin-flawed family life? Or are you going to exercise your God-given right to make a different choice? A better choice for you and for your family And for those who come after you. Jesus showed us a better way. One of the greatest things about the good news of Jesus Christ is that our lives can be different now, today. We don't have to wait for the by and by. In fact, you know, lots of times we talk about heaven and that's great. 
But you know what? My life is different because I choose to follow God now. And your life can be different too. When we choose to live for God, it changes our family. It changes our world. Faith in God will not change the flaws of our parents, nor the flaws of our past. Yet it can change what will happen next. We must choose to stop the cycle, to reset the clock. Taking on the attitude of Christ who lived for the good of those around him and gave himself up completely. He gave his life for you, for your family. And God has provided a sacrifice that can cover all of our sin. But overcoming family flaws starts with each of us submitting our flaws to Christ. Father God, we thank you for the many things that we can learn from your word, from the lessons that flow from it. For the joy that is ours, and yes, Father, for sometimes the tears that come from recognition, recognizing when we have fallen short. But we thank you, Father, that you have given us opportunity today to change those flaws. To be covered by the blood of the cross and to be holy and righteous in your sight. As we move into this time of decision and meditation and dedication, I pray, Father, that you will hear our prayers, that you will forgive according to your grace that you will admonish according to your love and that we will walk out of here changed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.